0: Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to episode 98 of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Verbonis, and I am joined by the best gosh darn co-host out there. That would be Mr. Bob Lucius. Hey, Bob. Your entrance was good. His was better. The difference? Showmanship.
1: Uh, it sounds familiar rick but i I can't place it so again you've befuddled me
0: uh well uh, that was uh maybe if i did this righty then okay Okay. Okay. that was jim carrey as the riddler okay talking to two-face after batman busts in from batman forever batman forever
1: yes the much beloved batman forever
0: now, the reason I picked, yeah, oh, the reason I picked that quote, Bob, because I, while the Riddler was saying it to Two Face, I'm, I'm pretty sure someone could be saying that to you about me. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you get no argument from me. Yeah, my yeah. my <laughs> entrances are a little bit more showmanship than yours.
1: Oh yeah, it's all flair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, in fact, when you're not around, we call you Ric Flair. <laughs>
0: well, that's great. <laughs> uh, and you know, oh, by the way. It happened to be from Batman Forever, which was the number one top grossing movie in 1995, which happens to be tied into the year of the comic that we're covering today.
1: That's it. This is how he does it. In some way, he's going to connect it to Kevin Bacon.
0: (laughs) One of these days, I (laughs) will. I will certainly do that. Yeah. So we are covering today a very special issue. Uh, It is Captain America issue 443. Now this came out. Um, it had a cover date of September 1995, and what's special about this issue is the fact that this is the end of Mark Gruenwald's run as writer of Captain America. So it is a um, it's a very special issue, and. We are going to be doing it old style. We're going to go through it panel by panel, Bob, because it deserves that kind of treatment. But, you know, Bob, as I surprised you in the last episode, what who better to have on to to cover this issue with us than Jason Olson, who is the author of Mark Grunwald and the Star Spangled Symbolism of Captain America. And so, Jason, welcome back to the show.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to get to talk about one of the most upbeat issues of (laughs) with you today.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. You nailed it there, Jason. I, I, I will say it was, it is a little downer. It's a downer. I, I will say that for, for many reasons, right? Not only the story itself, but the fact that this is Mark's last issue and the fact that, you know, he, he passed away not, not too, not too long after that. So, but, but we, uh, we do want to give respect to the issue and and we're so thrilled that you are taking time out of your, your busy schedule to come join us on the show.
2: Well, I'm happy to do it. And, and all kidding aside, I think this is an important, serious and good issue um, that really deserves our, our discussion and time. So I'm, I'm happy to get to do it with you too.
0: Yeah. And um, for an in-depth conversation with jason uh about mark grunwald make sure you go back to episode 82 um where uh we we the three of us have a a great conversation about uh mark's long career so um make sure you check that out uh so jason what have you been up to lately
2: well, I have been working on a creative writing textbook. I don't feel I should plug it much because it is not particularly CAP related, <laughs> um, but I've been finishing that up this summer and uh, I, I teach. And so in the summer, I don't get to teach quite as much. Um, so mostly I've been working on that and I'm actually traveling with my family right now in Southern Utah, but I I, I, I heeded the call to, to make sure that I could join the two of you today to talk about this one.
0: Well, we appreciate it. We're excited. I do. I love that level of commitment.
2: Yes. I'm here for you, and Karen.
0: <laughs> of course. <laughs> All right, so let's get to this issue. Um, so, this, uh, you know, there's a there's a couple things to point out about the creators on this particular issue. So, we we talked about Mark Grunewald, right? Because uh, he's the main focus here, but but we also have a, another uh, stellar cast of of. of creators on here uh, penciler dave hoover who has been on the book for for quite some time uh, with mark Gruenwald. Uh, unfortunately now we did mention that mark passed shortly thereafter right so he he actually passed in august of 1996 which was less than a year after this issue came out at, at the young age of 43 where uh dave hoover he actually uh, passed away too, um in two thousand and eleven at uh, the the young age of fifty six. Um, so it's uh, an interesting uh, there. And then we have Danny Bolandi uh, as the inker. He's been a long time inker on on this book with Grunewald. The colorist, George Russo's. Now, George Russos, um is a, a very um, Let's just say he he has a he, a long history uh, with Marvel Comics. So he actually um, he did, and this is his final work on on this on this series, um he was the anchor for Captain America's first Silver Age appearance in Avengers Four. So, he has a long history. Um, and I think he was listed as George Bell instead of George Rosos in that particular issue, but, um, he he's inked, uh, but mostly colored, uh, a lot of Captain America issues between that. And, and, um, that he had just turned 80, um, when, or he was about to turn 80, I should say, when he did this issue. And unfortunately he passed away five years later. So, um, yeah, I'm already I'm already starting off on a really upbeat, positive note here, yeah. guys. I Apologize, yeah. uh, but we do have letterer Michael Higgins and editor Ralph Macchio. Max on. So, <laughs> the the title to this story, Bob, do you know what it is? Twilight's Last Bleaming. Now, I think that was a, an apropos title to this issue uh right uh talking about the last gleaming um and then these are obviously uh famous lyrics from the, the star spangled banner and he has been known to pull lyrics from patriotic songs uh as as titles to a story i, I believe he's done that several times right jason
2: absolutely he he certainly had an affection for using all sorts of lyrics from songs, but the patriotic ones certainly feel the most appropriate. Although the Talking Heads certainly get a lot of play earlier, um, perhaps less patriotic than the national anthem, but still. But I think it's an absolutely fitting way to begin this one. I think there's several, especially toward the end, um, that play with this this move.
0: So we're going to go through this panel by panel. Now, Jason, I typically do all the voices. Sometimes Bob when he uh when he's paying attention he'll, he'll do a special effect uh, if you feel that you want to join in and do any of the voices if there's something calls out to you you let me know because we'd love to have
2: uh, another voice on the show i will i don't know what voice will call out to me and, Okay, and i promise it won't be Rock. <laughs> fair enough because uh, that's cause, uh, we'll that to me i love
0: doing Rock. he is <laughs> monifique he has so much fun mon ami um
1: yeah. I, I've
2: sensed that before, Rick. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. will not be able to
1: do it. Back off, Jason. <laughs>
0: uh, but we, we will test you at the very end. We're going to have a little quiz. So we have started doing uh, these three things that we like to, to talk about at the very end, uh, which is what is our favorite panel? What do we feel is T-shirt worthy? Like if, if this was on the t-shirt, you would definitely want to buy that t-shirt. And then last, time capsule. What kind of speaks to you in this issue that says, oh, that is definitely that time period. I want to put that in a time capsule. So we'll we'll talk about those three at the end. We'll even give you the first shot being that you're a
2: guest on the show. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you.
3: This episode is brought
1: to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer.
3: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it?
0: the uh, little Avengers uh, a up in the corner in, in the logo. So there's no captain America logo. Hasn't been for a little while, but there's this uh, a for Avengers. And by the way, Bob, this is still, still a dollar 50.
1: You know, I, you say still, um, what I'm going to tell you, I, when I, I just looked at the cover and I was like, dang, that seems
0: like a lot.
1: Yeah. But, for 1995. Yeah. For 1995. I think that seemed like a lot in 1995.
0: What were you doing in 1995? You couldn't afford uh, six quarters, Bob. I
1: probably could afford six quarters, but I know I had, I'd been in the Marines for quite a while at that point. And uh, yeah, I was, I was, I think I was in Southern California, man. So I was probably spending a lot of that money on suntan lotion.
0: So. And it worked (laughs) out so well. You were so (laughs) wrinkle free at this stage of your life, Bob.
1: My son pointed out some old spots on me uh, over the weekend.
0: <laughs> That's what he calls it, old spots? They are
1: old spots. They're on the back of my... I was like, what the hell are those things? And he's like, oh, congratulations, Dad. Those are old spots.
0: <laughs> so... You're like a little punk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So on the cover, we see Steve Rogers in a Captain America uniform that we've only been seeing uh, in the last year at the most. Um, and he's in an armor. He's in his Captain America armor. this doesn't always get well received. People look at the Captain America armor and and it's uh, not always not always very fond memories but it was kind of cool. it was kind of unique it was a, a way to kind of uh, change up what was going on in cap now he has to wear the armor because his heart's failing because of the super super soldier serum is is slowly killing him and he he can't use his muscles as well so the armor is there to help him move and to help him continue his battle as captain america
1: well i mean i think it's the combination of the idea of the armor which which sounds good but I think it's the stylistic rendering. You know, some people love it, you know, particularly, I mean, if, if, if you came of age in the 90s, and I think you were very attuned to sort of that art style, but I think for a lot of folks maybe who grew up later or or, or, or earlier, you know, it's the stylistic uh, touch that I think is jarring at first.
0: You don't like the double double uh, shoulder pads, Bob?
1: The shoulder pads and, and those funky boots, yeah.
2: It needed more pouches.
1: <laughs> I'm a big fan of pouches, so I, and, I completely and agree. And
2: it. so was Cap before this. So the 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 uniform before this was much heavier uh, on the pouches, much more pouch forward. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. It, it it is a very '90s artifact, but as totally. as you've both said, storyline wise, it's a pretty compelling reason.
0: Mm-hmm. To yes. And, yes,
2: and and I think we can perhaps. Um, if we're not as enthusiastic about the design as others might be, um, kind of rely on that as, as something that moves yeah. forward. You know, we've said this before, right? I mean, we've covered a number of stories
1: uh, where um, the art has not been everyone's cup of tea. Sure. You know, you know, the Isaiah Bradley, you know, miniseries is one mm-hmm. of those things where some people never gave it a shot just because the, the art didn't really appeal to them. But it was a great story. And and so you got to sometimes just power on through and appreciate the the writing for the writing's sake, even if maybe the art's not your cup of tea.
0: I, I agree. Uh, and, and, you know, we had we had 90s editor Mike Rockowitz on and um, Mike loved uh, Hoover. He 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 actually brought him in onto the series. He he got rid of Rick Levins and and brought Hoover on uh, because Hoover was doing, I think it was the Invaders at the time, and he he felt he felt he did a really good cap, so he brought him onto the series. And I will say Hoover's not my favorite cap artist um, by a long stretch, but I will give him credit for uh, storytelling. He has a good job at 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 doing a uh, laying out a page. Um, angles and things like that. I think he was a product of his time period being, you know, early to mid nineties with that image style and the bravado and the, and all that. So I think part of that, but the, the part that I guess I didn't, it didn't appeal to me was the face rendering. If there wasn't anything that, that stood out that I thought was really I just thought it was very mundane as far as the facial expressions, but other than that, I I thought he was a fine artist. Mm-hmm.
1: Agreed, agreed. I think I think stuff can grow on you, right? Um, and I think you gotta. Just like food, you know, to, to uh, they tell they say that to introduce a new food to a child, you got to introduce it like seven or eight times before they'll accept it and develop a taste for it. I think that's true of art, too, sometimes. But once you do it, you develop a taste for it, you're exposed to it a number of times, you see things that maybe you didn't see before. I think that's one of the great things about this show, Rick. You're always tuning people into aspects of the art that maybe escaped them in previous uh, read throughs.
0: Rick Flair, and, and 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 after ninety some episodes, they're starting to get a taste for me. <laughs> All right, so on the cover here, uh, we have Cap in his armor. He is standing on uh, a flag, which Cap would never do, but it is you know artistically designed that way to just kind of you know show uh, the American flag. Behind him is an hourglass that's probably the same height as he is and it's about halfway done and it says cap has learned he has 24 hours left to live so how should he spend it and then it says twilight's last gleaming as a cover though how does that pull you guys in
2: i i think it's a great hook um it's it's a really nice little i mean it's not a Bottle episode, right? By any means, you got you got to call back to a lot of stuff that happened before. But I think as a concept issue, it's a pretty compelling concept, and and I like how we're not in the issue yet, but it, it the fact that this concept is covered in the first two pages, and then we run through is is also pretty compelling. It, we don't waste any time getting into the hook of this issue that the cover presents, and I really appreciate that, and and I think it's a very compelling way to set it up. So we open it up. Oh, I'm sorry, Bobby, you have a comment? Uh, you know,
1: honestly, I mean, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't suck me in at all, Rick. Uh, you know, and I think, wow, for such a momentous issue, I just would have thought that there would have been something a little more razzmatazz to this, right? I mean, I'm thinking of like like Cap 109, right? That Kirby album cover issue where it has all of Cap's, you know, foes arrayed behind him. You know, something, something that sort of takes in the whole wrap around of the mythos right in this this final issue but it's just i don't know it's it just doesn't do it for me i hate to be critical you know i'm not that type
0: yeah that's okay i i asked and you guys answered
1: yeah
0: all right so we're going to get inside the comic and it's an opening splash uh that is uh i would say pretty it pulls you in right we have a it uh, looks like a very much defeated cap who's in his armor at the at the on the ground in an alleyway and it's dark and it's stormy and the rain's coming down and there's trash everywhere and he looks like he and his shields far behind him um it, it looks like he and he's crawling right so that's not not something we would normally would see from captain america so he has been bested here and it and it says at the top stan lee presents the 137th cap adventure written by mark moonwall i want everybody to just take that in for a moment 137th cap adventure written by grew that's that's really impressive
1: absolutely i mean it's if you think about like gosh what a commitment to a character right 137 uh Wow, that is a, a body of work that uh, well and and, and Bruce has a body of work that marks marks like a, a whole career, right? I mean he's mm-hmm. done a lot of other stuff, but I mean the stuff that he's known for and beloved for right and, there
2: And it's so important to him. I mean this is something that he goes, back to much earlier in this run about how important it was for him to, to have a, a run of some length on here because Cap hadn't really gotten that before. Um, so it's so grew, um to kick this off by emphasizing how many issues he's done because that's such an important part not just of his legacy but of captain america's legacy Mm. um because captain america didn't get it before so so it makes such a such such a significant and proper uh starting off point for the issue to emphasize that number because as you said it's a big deal that's a huge number especially for cap Yeah.
0: yeah and we'll talk more about that uh after the story so cap cap's thinking to himself i look bad feel worse Armor I'm wearing lets me do things I was never able to do before, but it's not enough. I could still be hammered by a foe more powerful than me. And ultimately, this hardware is not going to be able to keep me alive when my heart decides to call it quits. And then um, the letterer put um, the little letter boxes in a kind of uh, creative way. And it says, Art, Dave Hoover and Danny Blandi, colors, letter. And then it says, Mark's Last Gasp, lettered by Michael Higgins. Uh, So I thought that was kind of interesting that um, Michael decided to write that in there. And then in the background, uh, very subtle, we see a black crow flying in behind Steve. Cut to the next page, and he says, something in the air behind me. A bird a man an enemy comes to attack me while i'm down and the black crow forms into um a man uh and, and it's a native american uh, and for those who aren't familiar that is a uh a character that was actually introduced into the captain america by uh the writer jm uh towards the end of his run. And we actually covered that issue in episode 63, which was uh Captain America 292 and American Christmas. And that was a story that came out in 1983. Um, Mark Greenwald was the editor, I believe, at the time, um, but J.M. matthias was the writer. Um, and he's a, a mystical character um that originally J.M. matthias had envisioned in his mind and issue 300 of captain america would actually take over the role of captain america from steve rogers but jim shooter shot that down and um decided not to not to do that and we actually had a conversation with jim about that in episode 65 if you want to check that out but the uh black crow is standing there helping the armored steve get up and he says Captain America, I am the Black Crow. I come as a friend. I am something of a mystic, you see, and I had a vision about you. A vision? A dark vision, I'm afraid. 24 hours from now, your super soldier serum deterioration will stop your heart, and you will die. I am sorry, but I thought you would want to know. Please use this time you have left thoughtfully farewell and he turns back into a crow and he flies away and he says next page cap thinks to himself gone or did i just imagine it a bird turning into a man and back into a bird i'm not very big on mysticism on the other hand i've i've seen plenty of strange things in my time he knew about my condition a secret only a handful of people knew Speaking of what he said, I'm filled with a sense of absolute certainty that it is true. I've got 24 hours left to live. I'm going to pause here for a second. I don't understand why Mark wrote this as, as Steve not recognizing Black Crow, right? Because we just established he was introduced in the pages of Captain America. He fought Captain America. Um do you think and mark as jason as you know was such a big historian on marvel comics he was such a big stickler for continuity he i believe he was the editor for jm dematteis at that time why do you think he wrote this this way
2: let me do my best to to spin it in such a way to, to to protect mark in this way um steve isn't the one who doesn't recognize Black Crow. The Black Crow assumes that Steve would not recognize him, right? I am the Black Crow. I come as a friend. So we don't necessarily get any reaction from, from Steve. He turns around and he says, is this an enemy to attack me when I'm down? But he doesn't know who it is. Um, so it's possible that Steve knows, but maybe because the Black Crows had this vision. So in in tune with steve's state of mind and where he is maybe he's just helping him kind of fill in the blanks of who i am don't don't worry about thinking about this you don't have a lot of time left so don't spend a lot of time trying to figure out who i am um I, i'm the black crap. we have a backstory don't worry about it um but here <laughs> it is. uh or this is solely for the benefit of the reader
0: right yeah i mean and- it is it is a, a way to explain to the reader you know who this is if, if they didn't actually read about Black Crow back in 12 years earlier. Yeah, but but that's likely the case,
1: right? I mean, you're a whole new generation of readers at this point who haven't really been exposed to Black Crow. So I think it's a little bit necessary to to probably lay that groundwork again.
2: I, I think so, but it wouldn't have been hard for Cap to say the Black Crow the little asterisk and you know, see Cap too, exactly. because how many times we've we referred back to Marvel 2-in-1 issues and various things mm-hmm. like that. But I I think that, that there's an effort to make this feel self-contained um, as it. an issue, maybe more than, than some of the other issues we've got. Um, so so I think that that's what it is. But again, I'll, I'll defend Mark. Um, sure. I'll defend Cap here for for not getting the chance to be able to recognize black crow before before the black crow introduced himself
0: yeah his his mind's got a lot on on it right now so he says uh, i've got 24 hours left to live and then he goes on to say i better make that time count first order of business go back after the guy who sent sent me crashing down into that alley nefarious now nefarious is a high level villain right like he, he, he could take on thor and, and so on he gave me a pounding before but he's not going to be able to kill me is he i still got 24 hours to go fast son of a gun and he's using his armor to fly after him see if i can slow him down with my armor's mini rockets and and sure enough he he's firing uh these little rockets these little missiles out of his uh glove area it looks like and they just kind of go towards him and then Nefarious, and then they, they, they go down as Nefarious is turning back. And he says, no, they didn't even touch him. He must have done something to them with his heat vision. This calls for, wait, what am I doing? If I only have a limited time left, shouldn't I concern myself with important things? Things that only I can handle? Avengers can nab Nefarious, He's just a souped-up jailbreaker. I may have run into him first, but he's not my specifically my responsibility, while so many outstanding things are. 23 hours to go. 23 hours, 10 minutes left, if Black Coro is right. I've got certain affairs I've neglected to put in order. Stop at my Brooklyn Heights headquarters first. And so he lands in front of the headquarters and he walks in the front door and who's there but Free Spirit who is uh, uh, and Jack Flagg who are in their their civvies. Now, uh, Jason, for, for the listeners who maybe are not familiar with Free Spirit and Jack Flagg, did you, do you want to get, maybe explain who they
2: are? Sure. These, these were characters introduced during the Fighting Chance storyline, a little bit earlier than this one. As sort of Gen X um, devotees of Captain America, um, and both of them have separate and individual origin stories that both led them to to sort of be proteges under Cap. So this is sort of a a new wave of sidekicks that end up kind of working together during this time, and um, and yeah, I, I had the jack flag hairstyle in college. <laughs> But um, both were youthful, enthusiastic, um, and were bringing some, some energy during that Fighting Chance storyline. Both, both had pretty prominent roles during that, too.
0: Yeah. And, and for the listeners who, who may not know what Jack Flagg's hairstyle looks like, it, it is uh, painted red, white, and blue. Uh, so very stylish.
1: Yes. And, and for, for those who don't know what Free Spirit looks like, it's, let me just say it's appropriate that she worked on the hotline.
0: if this is 1995 shouldn't we be like quoting that (laughs) i'm not worthy i'm not worthy okay (sighs) moving on yes uh yeah so jack flag um so free spirit was introduced about a year prior issue 431 jack flag was introduced in 434 so they have not been around for you know much much more than a year uh really but they were creations of mark grunwald who rightfully so wanted to to bring them into this last story of his so cap comes in and he says free spirit and jack flag nice kids capable partners if i still needed partners may i help cap don't tell him about how I recovered from the explosion. Let me. Cap, are, are you all right? You you look like you've seen a ghost. I'll tell you in a minute. First, I have to get something for my quarters. Wait here. And then um, Free Spirit and Jack Flag look at each other. He doesn't sound like himself. I think something real bad has happened to him, Jack. And as he turns the corner, he sees a couple of more people. My handyman, Fabian Stankiewicz, and my pilot, Zach Moonhunter. I'm lucky out. Everybody I need to see is here. Men, meet me in the situation room for a briefing in five minutes. Copy that. And then Cap heads to his bedroom. My room. Barely ever in here except to sleep. Was it a fault or a virtue? that I've never let myself bond with any specific place I've lived. Have I really gotten to the point where I consider all of America my home? Important documents I still keep in my old footlocker. I feel some sense of attachment to this old thing, don't I? I'm not sure. Everything important enough to me that I kept, I keep in here. Documents, letters, mementos photographs. And he picks up a photo of Sharon Carter. There have been several women I've been involved with over the years, but Sharon still holds the the prize for hanging around me the longest and making the most painful exit. And he was referring to the issue where Sharon apparently was killed Um, in a, in a blast and she, she burned to death. Um, It just wasn't right for you to die. So hellish a manner. Even now, after all these years, a week doesn't go by where I don't see someone who reminds me of you. Save me a seat, Sharon. I'll be joining you in less than 23 hours. And then he reaches in there and he finds something else. Ah, here's the file I need. Everyone's waiting. Free and Jack have slipped into their costumes. Shh, here he comes. So he walks up to the four of them. Let me be straight with you. I've had a premonition of my death. If it turns out to come true, I've prepared papers to enable the four of you to keep running my nationwide emergency hotline, if you're willing. The Stars and Stripes system was one of the best ideas I ever had, a way for me to be directly responsive to the American people. And I hate to see it go away just because I have. And they all have this, this look of shock and sadness on their face. Read the documents, think it over. I know it's asking a big commitment for a modest stipend. Cap, what are you going to do about this 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 premonition? There's nothing to do about it. And she comes up and she hugs him. I've got a number of other people out to see. I'll meet you all here at 10 tonight. We'll have a vigil. See if the reaper keeps his appointment. Next page, I turn to leave, but the four of them have suddenly moved in close to hug me. And the four of them all do. They surround him and give him a big hug, even though he's wearing armor what's this for? Just in case. And he leaves and he he flies off in his armor. I'm a very lucky man. I've managed to surround myself with people who really care about me. So why do I bolt from their presence? Embarrassment? What do I have to do in my last 22 hours of life more important than spending time with the people I care about? Is there someone I should spend time pursuing? And then there's, while he's flying, there's images of various villains and and characters around him. The Red Skull, Nefarious, Crossbones, Superior, Diamondback. Don't know where any of them are. I'm not even sure if Superior is still alive. Is there a point of investing my precious time in potentially fruitless searches? Wait a minute i know where one of them is we cut to the next page and it is a uh penitentiary crossbones is at a pen- penitentiary somewhere 20 hours 45 minutes till my demise i've managed to find one of my greatest sparring partners and arrange for some FaceTime time with them so there's cap in the prison and he's sitting at one of those booths you know with a little glass and there's a phone on one side a phone on the other side as the convict uh, can talk talk with the visitor and crossbones is being escorted up to the chair and he says well i'll be double dipped it is you so what the bleep do you want capper nice of them to let you keep your mask on bones to spare us the sight of your face Yeah, I told them I had it surgically attached, and they believed me. So, what's with your heavy metal underwear, A-face? Lost your edge? As a matter of fact, Bones, I have. Looks to me like you have, too. I'm surprised you haven't escaped yet. This isn't the vault. It's just a prison. They watch me every minute of the way, man. I'm surprised the the Red Skull hasn't had you sprung. Weren't you his right-hand man? Creep's taking his sweet time to teach me a lesson for being stupid enough to get caught. He'll be along by and by. Come on, Bones. You're psychopathetic, but you're not delusional. If the skull still had any use for you, you'd be out of here. He's into some big operation right now, the biggest I've seen in all the years I've been fighting him. If he doesn't think you're worth bringing in on that, he must have no use for you anymore. You're lying, man. You're... Ask anyone, Bones. I don't lie. Anyway, you should be glad you're not with the skull on this one. He's in way over his head. So you came all the way here to tell me about my boss? Or do you want something? I know. You want me to give you some clue to where he might find the old codger, huh? See, this is when I need to get closer to the screen so I can actually read the words. We get Codger. I, I don't. Know. <laughs> I, I kind of
2: prefer Codger here, No, It does work, yeah.
0: <laughs> I know. You want to give me some clue to where you might find the old coot, huh? Well, can't help you, A-man. All the hideouts of his I've ever been to, you raided. Actually, Bones, I came to see you for another reason. I have this theory that no one is totally re- beyond redemption. That's why I'm so big on preserving life. Even the lives of those who try to kill me. As long as a person's alive, there's hope he may redeem himself. So what I'm saying is, even though you've acted like low-life scum every time we've met, there must be something good about you. love for your mother, a childhood pet, a woman maybe? I'd really like to know what it is. You want to know where I'm soft, huh, Cappy? <laughs> okay, why not? I'll tell you. I love to hate. And then he laughs maniacally and he walks away. And the guard says to Cap as he's walking away, So did you to get what you wanted from that dirt bag? I got all I could reasonably expect. Next page, Cap's flying, and he's checking his onboard computer on the screen. I've stopped evildoers of all kinds over the years. But I wonder, have I ever once inspired any evildoer to forsake evil? I doubt it. I have 18 hours, 7 minutes left to live by the time I'm back in the city. Is it too much to hope that I get one more crack at the skull in that time? No recent references to him on my computer directory. His trail so cold it's Antarctic. Might as well give up on trying to make myself useful in my time left. Maybe I should look up everyone I know and say goodbye. According to her office, Bernie Rosenthal's in court today. And he flies up to the window to look in, and sure enough, she is. She's been after me to do lunch for months now. I've been noncommittal. Hey, there she is, arguing a case. Looking good, Bern. I wonder if I had anything to do with her deciding to pursue a career in law, or if she would have even if we'd ever met. I suppose I'll never know. Call you tonight if I get a chance, Bernie. Who shall I look up next? Sam Wilson, the Falcon. So he does. He calls him from his uh, his armor. Sam, Steve, how you doing? Not good, Steve, While I was off on your AIM Island caper. One of my nephews was shot. Sorry to hear that, Sam. Well, you take care, okay? And he flies off. I could tell by his voice he was a bit peeved with me, certainly in no mood to have me drop in and say goodbye. So he goes to the hospital, and then he comes in on a room, and, he, and it's Arnie Roth. Bob, do you, do you remember Arnie Roth? Arnie's, uh, Arnie's one of Steve's boyhood friends uh, and a, a frequent fixture in
1: the Grunewald run.
0: Yeah, introduced by by J.M. DeMatteis. In- indeed. Uh, during that run, uh, battling Zemo. Yeah. And he sees Arnie, um, and he's looking pretty old and, and worn down, and he's laying in a hospital bed with a respirator over him and his eyes shut of everyone I know Arnie and I go back the farthest to childhood on the Lower East Side now he's battling for his life against cancer a sad state to see a very good very gentle very loyal man stuck in Arnie and he grabs his hand I've come to say goodbye I don't have a lot of time left neither do you thank you for being such a good friend to me and it looks like he leans over and he kisses him on his forehead see you soon and then he leaves but in his wake we see the heart monitor that's beeping and then his heart arnie's heart gives out and arnie dies I don't know if Cap saw that. I don't think he saw that. I think he was out of the room by that time. And as he's flying away, he thinks there are probably as many ways to die as there are to live. Arnie doesn't seem to be fighting it. He seems to be surrendering gracefully. I wonder how mine will be 17 hours from now. When I punched up the directory before I reemerged, seeing Ram Ridley's name, he was the boy who helped me get up my national computer hotline. He called about a month ago, and I haven't gotten back to him yet. 16 hours, 42 minutes till my destiny. And I'm in Montclair, New Jersey, looking up my biggest fan. And there's Ram, appears to be a little older than I remember seeing him, more like a teenager. Yeah. And he's sitting on the, the front step of his porch and he looks pretty down. Ram, is that you? What are you doing here? His demeanor. So sullen. I could almost feel it. I, I wanted to touch base with you and, and thank you for... You have nothing to thank me for. I have nothing to thank you for. Ram, what's wrong? And he sits down next to him. My, my mom... She was driving to church. When when she stopped at a light, someone got into her car at gunpoint, made her drive to a country road, and, and shot her in the head. My God. She's in a coma. May never come out of it. What's wrong with this freaking world, Cap? What kind of world do we live in where a good woman gets shot on the way to freaking church? For over a minute, I let the question hang in the air. I have no answer. Finally, I feel the need to say something, but any words of consolation would probably ring hollow. Sometimes, Ram, there are no heroes around. Sometimes the good people leave us before we're ready for them. I've lost many people I've cared about over the years, Ram, but I found a way to go on and carry a bit of them inside me. You're not making me feel any better. Nothing anyone can say will bring her back to me. I'm sorry, Rand. I wish there was something I could do for you, but there isn't. I wish I'd been there for your mom, but I wasn't. I wish I'll go now. And he flies off.
2: Grunwald uh, depicts Cap as being so remarkably chatty over the course of, of all of these issues. And, and it's so interesting in this issue that he he doesn't talk a lot um, compared to what you might think he does to, to a lot of different people. I, you know, the interaction that we, we covered earlier with um, Jack Flagg and, and Free Spirit, when he tells them his fate and his 24 hours, he tells it as basically a business discussion uh, where he sort of slides it in. I mean, he's he's incredibly awkward Um, at various points here. And I don't think we get much more than this, where he feels like he needs to say something um, to Ram, because he has to, because he knows this kid is down. And this is a kid that, as you said, when we saw him last, was much younger, unabashedly enthusiastic toward Cap. And and now when Cap tries to say these encouraging words, things that always work, you know, whenever Cap is here to try to cheer you up, um, it always works. Um, purposely, I think, Grunwald writes these words as being pretty empty. um, and Ram is quick to dismiss them, but I think we do too, as as readers. I mean, it just kind of shows us where cap is. He doesn't have any encouraging words for anybody else at this point because he doesn't really have any for himself either. Um, again, when Grunwald writes cap, cap is constantly, throwing thought bubbles up in the air. He is constantly thinking, and we don't get even as much of that as we do in other issues. So I think it's just showing us mentally where he is, that he just doesn't have anything to say. So I'm just going to leave. Um, you know, I think there would be a point where he would have tried to talk to Sam um, and and find out how he's feeling and how he's doing. He just cuts that call off. And I'm like, well, he's mad at me, so I'll move on to somebody else. And, and here he is trying to say something. It's just not the right words. He just can't muster them at this point.
0: And these are good points, Jason. Um, I, I I almost felt when reading this, this whole point where Cap, his words are hollow because he's not feeling it. I almost feel like Mark Grunwald's writing Cap is hollow because he's angry while writing this story. I think Mark. Mark was taken off the book. He didn't voluntarily leave. This wasn't, he didn't say, Oh, I've done my run. I, I want to go now. No, he was taken off the book. And so he's very upset. And when he's writing this story and it's almost like, you know what? Uh, you know, you know, I, this is how I feel. And and therefore this is how feels.
2: I I think that's a really important point here uh, because whenever Grunwald talked about writing, before, like, 95. One of the things he always emphasized was optimism, um, that whatever you write, be optimistic about it. There's a full a pin bulletins from, I think, a year or two before this. I can't remember when exactly, but he listed, like, points for aspiring comic writers, and one of them is be optimistic. Show optimism in what you do, um, and this is remarkably pessimistic, this issue, especially that exchange that, that we just read. Yeah. Um, and I don't think there's any way to take where Mark was emotionally as a result of being taken off the comic, where comics were going in general, mm-hmm. away from that. You know, um,
1: I was talking to a Cap fan the other day um, and we were talking about Cap's social awkwardness. I mean, it's sometimes easy to conflate the thought bubbles with his actual speech, right? He, I mean, he constantly talks a lot in the Grunwald, uh, um, the way Grunwald writes him. I mean, he, you get a peek inside his head, and it's very well-formed thoughts, and he's he's very reflective and insightful, but he rarely speaks. Those thoughts and those emotions, and what people around him see is something much more closed off. And I mean, and that's reflected in his relationships. And I gotta say, I was like really shocked, right, when I saw his response to Sam. Sam's angry with him, and so he hangs up. And, you know normal circumstances, you'd be like, all right, i'll give I'll give Sam a call in a couple of days when when Sam cools down. but but he knows he's going to be dead in twenty four hours, right? This is going to be his last chance to speak to his old partner and dear friend and he just leaves it and i mean can you imagine in your in a similar situation would you want your friend to feel the guilt they would he or she would likely feel after having spoken angrily to you on the phone and never having a chance to 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 move past that Uh, and yet he just you know moves on he's a steve's a very socially awkward person Uh, and i think that's what makes him endearing in many ways um but it really comes through in in this particular story
0: yeah you know and i i might almost take the opposite approach to that bob um while it was certainly surprising about steve not wanting to talk to sam uh when sam was down i almost looked at it like what a cap thing to do in regards to, look, he's already down and dealing with uh, his his family member who has been shot and he's suffering enough. Do I really need to dump my problems onto him, and and make him feel worse? Like, you know, I mean, if you, a, a close friend or a family member comes to you and says, "Oh, by the way, I'm I'm terminal and I'm dying," your life just changed, right? True. Yeah. You know, so. maybe and incorrectly maybe maybe you know in the wrong way steve was being cap again steve was saying i don't need to to dump more onto him not thinking it through that yes maybe uh, sam will then feel guilty after the fact but maybe his heart was in the right place but i don't think i don't think steve's thinking clearly on anything right now Right. But and I think those
1: two those two uh those two things can exist at once right I mean he can be being cap and wanting to protect his friend at the same time as being too socially awkward to be able to comfort his friend without sure. necessarily revealing his situation
2: Yep good point I will say there's one place where Steve is never awkward about conversation and it is not in relationships as you've said and it's certainly not consoling people because I was just thinking, if he would have tried to console Sam with the same thing he tells Ram, Sam isn't taking any of that crap. True that, oh, yeah. <laughs> quick, um, but if, if if Steve has the opportunity to talk political ideology, oh boy, we're gonna go on. To- <laughs> <laughs> Give him a soapbox. What are you talking? Oh about? my goodness, um, no, no problem with that. Well, let's just.
1: No, yeah, right? that's a that's a monologue though, right? That's a speech. Yeah. It's not a conversation, yeah. right? That's no, oh, that's yeah. true.
0: So well, that's a good well, point man, because, uh, point. Uh, you know, I, I was uh, seeing one of my favorite uh, comedians, Brian Regan, and I saw him live not too long ago. And he, he he admittedly is socially awkward and he 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 has a hard time talking with people and and people say to him, but you're up on stage all the time. Like, how is that possible? Because you don't understand. I'm just talking. This is a one sided conversation. I can give a monologue all day long. I don't have to interact with you. Right. And no. and that's the same thing, prob- probably with cap. Yeah. All right. So we're maybe we're going to get a little more upbeat now, right? Because we got oh on this page. Look out! Who do we have? <laughs> the tumbler. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but actually, actually, Bob, I I did I did tell you uh, that there was going to be um, perhaps maybe. Uh, one more surprise, uh, in this episode, and and here he is.
3: Bonsoir, why you fuzzy face, Grundy? Just like the Spanish Inquisition. No one expects Matrox in
0: His chief element is surprise.
3: That's <laughs> right. <laughs> Did you know that Batrock was the snot double for jean Cleese and Monty Python and some of the holy grail? No. Is that true? Say right. When jean Cleese was up there and he was doing the floppy handsy thing, his hands was very delicate. So Batrock was behind <laughs> before him. Very nice. Attendee. Go away. I shall talk to you a second time. <laughs>
0: wow who knew who knew that batrock was on the set of mighty python's uh quest for the holy grail indeed interesting well uh i'm glad uh batrock you have joined the show um because we're about about time (laughs) (laughs) we're about to get to a part here where um where you are on so i was thinking i could do the voice of batrock you could do the voice of captain america
3: of, of course, I, my American is very good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or, you know what? All right. All right. I'll let you do Batrock. I'll do Captain America. Okay. Is, right.
3: Fine. But, but is it possible maybe we can skip past this first panel when the uh, metal, uh, how you say, testicles are all over Batrock? Tentacles.
0: Tentacles, not testicles. Pardon. Pardon. Yes. Fans are gonna love that. Uh no, we 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 haven't gotten to that part yet. So just just uh uh uh, pardon Um okay. So uh we we're here and Steve he's landing after talking with uh with the young boy and he's feeling bad. And he says, I can't be everywhere at once. I can't help everyone who needs help. I can't stop feeling like dirt avengers mansion maybe i should be by myself for a while and who's there but it's jarvis hello mr steve hi jarvis the other avengers are out just now anything i can get you just some tea and he goes to his guest quarters but as he's going there peggy carter who also is part of cap's team there's a um A vision of her showing up, a digital picture of her face. Excuse my holographic intrusion, Steve. Peggy, could you please come to the side entrance? You have a visitor. Ten hours till my time is up, and and I have to deal with this.
3: Is this how you treat all your guests, Mon capitan Just known never do wells, Batrock. Is that metal armor you are wearing? It does not become you.
0: Why are you here, Batrock?
3: Come to turn yourself in? More than me. You do me dishonor. There are no outstanding warrants for me in this country. I come for... I need your help. There is this assassin who who has killed nearly every costume figure in South America. I I know.
0: I, I called him a few days ago. His name was Zykist.
3: You have? You are
0: certain? Yes. Now, if you'll excuse me. Peggy, deactivate the restraints.
3: Wait. I haven't thanked you. That murdered my friend Machete. And I vowed to avenge him. I owe you, mon ami. No, you don't. I was just doing my job. Please. At least let me buy you a drink. I know a fine bistro on Green Street I always frequent when I am in New York. No, thanks. Tell me truly, Capitain. Why is it change of uniform? I wanted a new look. Now go. Mourn your friend. You seem to me like you have something to mourn as well, no? Maybe I do. Then can we not mourn together?
0: And Cap thinks to himself, is this for real? Batroc has always been more of a rogue and a scoundrel than an evildoer, but he has a strange sense of honor. Can he really be trying to reach out to me, man to man? Or is he going to try to pick a fight with me so he can once again try to beat me in unarmed combat? Cap turns and goes inside the Avenger's mansion. You can come in if you like, batrak Nine and a half hours to live. And I'm having tea
3: with Batrock in the Avengers library. I have never seen you like this, my foe. Is there something troubling you?
0: I just learned that I let a young boy down. That I stopped being his hero. That he stopped believing in heroes altogether. I know I can't be there for everyone. But this one really disturbs me. It makes me feel like... My whole struggle, all, all these years had been in vain.
3: Captain, it is not like you to talk this way. Tomorrow is another day, another chance to be great. No, Batroc, it, it it's not. There isn't a tomorrow for me. I, I'm
0: dying tonight. You are joking. I, I wish. I have a heart condition. That's why I'm wearing this sardine can. I had an omen that at tonight, my heart stops. You, you better leave now, truck. I'm, I'm suddenly very tired.
3: I will miss you, Mona Me. You are the only man I have never had Is there something I might do for you?
0: No one I've ever fought has ever reformed. The world needs heroes now more than ever. We cut to the next page, and Cap's walking back up to his room. I finally coax him to leave. We end up talking for hours. Maybe I got through to him. Maybe he was just humoring me. And he lays down on his back, in his armor, on the bed. I really shouldn't waste any of my final few hours sleeping. I'll have plenty of time to catch up on my sleep once I'm dead. But I'm just so weary physically, mentally, spiritually. Despite all my good intentions and constant struggles, the world is still filled with crime, war, injustice, and tyranny. Let my epitaph read, He didn't do enough. And just then, Jarvis comes in Master Steve. You asked me to wake you when it was half past eight, but I was, Master Steve, he lies so still. My Lord, I, I don't think he's breathing. I must get help. And Jarvis runs out of the bedroom. And we cut to the last page. And the Avengers are there. And it's Black Widow, Quicksilver, Cersei, Hank Pym as Giant Man, and Hercules and they're standing over Cap's armor, but it's empty. What happened in here, Jarvis? Who removed him from his exoskeleton? I I, I did not know. He was so still. I, I thought he had... Black Widow gets closer to the armor. No one could have entered or exited the mansion without setting off the security system. Quicksilver goes to the window, which is open. Was the window open when you left the room, Jarvis? I do not think so, Master Petro. Hmm. He looks out the window and there's a black crow flying. What has happened to Captain America? Does his disappearance mark the end of an error? And then Mark Grunewald puts in a little caption at the end. This story's for my mom. And that is the story. Now, I just want to point out that last bubble where Quicksilver says, does this disappearance mark the end of an error? And the end is uh, three times as big as the rest of the words, and it's in, in bold red. Um, and I, I think the, the letterer here was doing mark Grunwald some justice by pointing out that this is an end of an error and maybe even mark wrote a play on words by writing mark the end of an error and there we have it folks uh and by the way Batruk had to leave uh but we have a, a new person here uh john waller soul john welcome to the show
3: hey thanks
0: uh, <laughs> all right guys um this was a sad story. There are some times in this story, uh, I got—I don't want to say choked up, but it did hit me. You know, it did hit me because, for a few reasons, you know, one, this is the end of an era with Mark Grunewald and knowing that he passed away not too long after writing this, um, and that Mark Grunwald is gone as well, that—that that on and a whole level by itself is kind of sad. But also, seeing my favorite character, Steve Rogers, in such a desperate state. Um, Now, who's to say, if any of us were told that we had 24 hours to live, how we would handle it? Um, You know, we could certainly sit here and judge, uh, but we don't know. We have never been in that situation. We don't know what's racing through someone's mind. I think Mark Grumwald tried to to express a lot of different thoughts in there but maybe maybe it is apropos that steve at at the end of his life is questioning has he done enough um but i don't know your thoughts
1: i'll tell you what i do want to say that dialogue between steve and batrok man that got me yeah so well done gentlemen. So well done. Uh, I felt like I was in it, for crying out loud. And uh, it, it hit me in a completely different way than just simply reading the words. Just so well done.
2: Oh, thank you. Merci. I, I, I came back. Um, I, I wonder if um, part of that is what we were talking about before, because Steve's earlier interactions are, are so stifled and so awkward. And and we get this very unexpected place. You know, he's he's the one who needs to to be in control. You know, he's obviously he's he's a mentor father figure to Ram. He has expectations, he was a partner and mentor to Sam, but he's none of those things to Patrick. And so that's like a moment where he kind of lets his guard down a little bit more, and that conversation gets to feel so much more honest than anything else that that goes on in here. And I, you know, we we talked a little bit about. the the perhaps mistake of the interaction between Black Crow and Cap of who knows who. Um, But there's another one that goes all the way through here because one of the main tropes of this entire issue is did I redeem anybody? Did anything I do make a difference? As he's talking to um, Zach Moonstone, who he met um, when he was under the evil spell of somebody, as he's talking to Fabian Stankiewicz, who was a a low-level... A Avenger villain, not a very good one, but there he was. Um, as we're in the room with, with Black Widow at the end, I mean, he and Quicksilver. Of, and Quicksilver, I, the mark of Cap in this regard is beyond reproach. He can't get there, and this feels honest too. You know, how many times if we're looking at at our lives, would we think that we didn't do enough? Um, and we almost need somebody else to tell us, "Well, you, you did this and this and this." And and Steve's just not in the mindset where he can do it. Where there's evidence. On so many of these pages of of him being able to influence people, so he couldn't redeem Crossbones. Well, Crossbones is horrible. You know that's right. not going to happen. Um, but but he did it, and and we know that as the reader. And it's just one of these levels of awareness of Steve himself not being able to see it. And and so that's I think part of why that conversation with Batroc hits as hard as it does because it really does. Um, because here's somebody that he's he's kind of off his game and he gets to be a little more natural he's not trying to be cap here um, and I think that that helps sell that conversation
0: yeah you know I, I'm glad you really said that Jason because I was feeling the same way when when cap was saying you know how have I redeemed anybody and just a few you know pages before there's diamondback right I mean like Diamondback was somebody who was inspired by cap to do better because she wanted his Love and his admiration, right? So she he, she was inspired by him, and, and so that was the first thing that came to my
2: mind too. But at this point, he might see that as failure too, the, because Diamondback walked away to 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 join back on the bad side um, to to try to help find a cure. So I wonder if he because remember when he's listing who should I go track down, he lists her. That isn't a romantic rendezvous that he's looking for. It's it's to try to bring her back to justice um but but so it's true because but he can't see that that the, even her motivation to 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 go bad again is for good reasons to protect him um and he just can't see it and and i guess there's um just the awareness of the audience to to say hey steve open your eyes man um the the good you've done is all over the place but he just can't see it
0: yeah that's a great point i mean i think i think we're all our own worst critics and and sometimes it takes somebody else to to point out the good things and 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 I hate that about this story. I I, I don't want to think of Steve as somewhere underneath everything that he is insecure. You know, I, I that's not not the the Steve Rogers that I have always thought of and, and admired. I never thought of him being someone who is so insecure about himself that he would be questioning himself like this but but grunel has written that about him throughout his you know i mean you know when he was questioning uh his decision to to turn his his shield into the commission right and you know he was questioning himself there too but but this was deeper than that and it just it just struck me and i hated i hated the fact that The last words that we see from Steve Rogers, apparently here, the way Mark Grunewald writes it, right? I mean, we all know Steve comes back the next issue, right? But but we don't know that at this point. And Mark didn't write it that way. Mark wrote this is to end like this. And the last thing that comes out of Steve's thoughts are, let my epitaph read, he didn't do enough. I hate that. I really don't like that at all. Not for my Steve Rogers. I just it it bothered me on such a level I didn't think it it could
3: possibly bother me. I think it's interesting that you find that as a sign of insecurity. I don't disagree that Steve has demonstrated insecurity in previous points, but this came across to me in reading this issue again last night in preparation for this as Steve's drive. That this was, it's never enough. It's never going to be enough. And that's not insecurity, it seems like to me, as much as it is his determination, part of the core of his character.
2: Grunewald is also unafraid to depict Steve as suffering from depression. And, and it certainly feels like that's something we're seeing here. We We see that in... 401 um, post-Operation Galactic Storm. Sure. He, he's, I mean, legitimately seems to be suffering from depression. Um, and I think we get signs of that too. And it's hard when one is suffering from depression to have any rational thoughts. I mean, everything is is holding you down. And and so these thoughts about not being enough, it, it certainly feels in line for for the type of depression that, that Grunewald has shown Steve to be suffering from at times.
3: It's a good point. And also, as Rick said earlier, you got 24 well, less at that point, especially less than 24 hours to live. You're probably going to be depressed.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you're already inclined toward it, um, it's going to be very, very dark. And that's Steve doesn't handle those 24 hours. Well, um, you know, it feels like it ought to be a gift. That's almost like the way Black Crow wants it to be right. Use this time th- thoughtfully he says it's thoughtfully is the word that he uses Mm -hmm. and steve's immediate response is i have to act i have to do things um and then he consciously decides no i don't want to act i don't want to 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 be involved in action um and nefarious flies away he he has consciously decided that this isn't going to be um a time of battles in these 24 hours could have been i mean and that wouldn't have felt like an inappropriate ending if this is just page after page of of Steve fighting all the bad guys from Greenwald's run, but he um, and
0: he even says that right. He says, yeah. you know, could I get lucky enough to 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 battle Red Skull one one more time, right? He, like he, it's almost yeah. like he's wishing for that because I think, I think many writers have done not just Grunwald, have done. Steve is at his most uh, relaxed when he's in the middle of a battle, right? You get him on a date, you get him on other things yeah, he's awkward, you know, and, and it's like when he pulled away from the hug, you know, he, he, he he was overwhelmed by their affection and their love, their, their show of love and support that he pulled away and left. And he even questioned himself, like, why am I pulling away here? It's because of that awkwardness, right? He, he'd rather be in a battle, but he's torn here. He's, he, you know, he's, he's given this, time left and he doesn't know what to do and part of him is you know his instinct was to go after nefarious but then he starts to question himself and it's it's a struggle seeing him go through all this all this during this story i don't
1: think it's unique to the story though rick i mean i do think i do think steve is an insecure person i think as captain america he's not insecure but i think as steve rogers he is and he fills up time with action. I mean, that is what distracts him, I think, in many ways from his insecurities and social awkwardness. That's where he feels most alive, most purposeful, most needed, most effective. Uh, And I think that that certainly comes out here. His instinct is to fill up those last 24 hours with doing the things that define Captain America instead of necessarily doing the things that define Steve Rogers.
2: And and I wonder, I wonder if there's part of Steve that kind of wants to fight Batroc, right? Because you go back to that battle or that conversation. It's not a battle. um, And he says, can he really be trying to reach reach out to me, man to man? Or is he trying to pick a fight with me so he can once again try to beat me in unarmed combat? And it's that beat afterwards that he invites him in. Come on in. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Um, so if he doesn't invite him in after he thinks. Is he trying to reach out to me? He invites him in when he thinks, "Hey, maybe he wants to fight me." Oh, sure, Batcher, come on in. Let's let's sit in the, the in the library and drink some tea. And and so I I wonder if there's part of him that is thinking maybe the most cap way to go is to go out in, in battle.
0: Jason, that's a, that's a that's an interesting observation. Uh, and but but I want to get back to what you had just said. And thank you for saying that because I, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think Captain America is not insecure. Steve Rogers certainly can be insecure, and and I think talking through this and and uh, you had mentioned before about talking with another Cap fan about him being awkward and things like that. Um, yeah, maybe you're right, and 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 maybe 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 after as we're dissecting this here maybe this is just a a brilliant story by Grunwald, as you know the sureness of a captain america and the insecurity of a steve rogers that are battling each other going through this news that they only have so much time
3: left i think that's definitely very plausible and you know i i will
1: say i was having this discussion in the context of you know I mean, what do we see? What do we see in Cap? What do we see in Steve Rogers? What makes him an interesting character that many folks and in, in our group, the Captain America uh, comic book fans uh, group on Facebook, and folks who listen to the podcast, what what do we see in the character that we identify with? You know, and personally, I identify with that. I, I I'm socially awkward, and I see a little bit of Cap in me in that way. Uh, you know, when I'm at work, you know, when I'm at back when I was in uniform in the military, I could very much be on the spot. Johnny, you know, when it came to being Captain Lucius, Colonel Lucius, any of those things. But in social situations, not at all. Uh, and so I like that this dichotomy, this paradox between the Steve Rogers and Captain America when he's in uniform, when he's being Captain America, he is the leader. He is in command. You know, people look to him. He knows what to do. He goes toward the action. But as Steve Rogers, he, he has a very difficult time with relationships. But that's a very different kind of relationship than being a leader. Uh, and I and I like that. Two characters in one. I find that really, really interesting. And and I think a lot of people do.
0: All right. So Bob, uh, did anybody ever call you uh, Captain or Colonel Luscious? Uh, once. <laughs> just, they're a KP KP duty for the rest of their lives. <laughs> uh, oh I think you have a new nickname on the show. <laughs> oh, great!
3: No, 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 no! I saw that look. For those of you just listening, you didn't see the look. Bob will break the screen and get you. <laughs> uh,
1: Uh, indeed indeed
0: so jason um having done your your book on on mark Grunwald, your your thesis your dissertation all of that fun stuff um now that we're here at the end do you feel do you feel like mark like i got the impression mark was angry when he was writing this story um how do you feel like that? How this wraps up Mark Grunwald's uh, end as a Captain America writer? You know, what are your what's your overall thoughts?
2: This isn't the ending that I think we would have thought we would get from Mark. You know, the the very first issue he writes of Captain America, we get um, madcap. madcap. yeah, <laughs> right. We we get a very different opening um, volley, and here we get something that is is much darker, much more cynical. Um, so it's not the ending to to Grunewald's run that I think we would expect to get, but it's probably the one that he needed to write. Um, because I think you're right. I, I think that it's hard not to read this um, and not feel Grunewald's own reflections of what he's going through, how he's being treated, how the whole comic industry is moving through this depiction. And th- this isn't just in this issue. Uh, the, the last year and a half, two years, is filled with these moments of reflecting on um, very cynical views of where comics are, where heroism is. And so at the beginning, you never would have thought that, that Mark would end this run in in such a dark place. But as it moves on, it feels very much in line from the stories that are introduced right around the beginning of Fighting Chance and then to here. Um, it feels very much in in... In in line with that, and as a fan of Captain America, as a fan of Mark Greenwald, I, I it hurts, right? I mean, just the, some of the things that we've said, it's yeah. emotionally grating to to see somebody we love as a character in in Captain America and somebody we love as a writer in Mark Greenwald going through so many difficult things. Um, and I, I think I think I really appreciate this issue. I think it's a hard issue to unabashedly like. Um, but I think it's a an, an important issue and it's a really fitting ending to the last portion of of Mark's run on this comic. Cause I think it's very easy to see this this run is any run as long as this one. Um, that there are very uh, many different aspects to it. You could very easily break it into, you know, the opening year is about establishing a rogues gallery, and then the the next portion here is about getting us to the captain and 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 here it's about what the hell has happened to the comic industry um why is somebody who's devoted so much um kind of been given this this treatment by so many people and and i feel like in a way it's fitting um for where he was um even if it isn't always the most enjoyable thing to to read
0: yeah well 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 put um and it and it was there was a lot going on in the industry at that time and and you know when we when we talked with um his wife at the time uh Catherine uh Schuler Grunwald um she talked about how you know the, the industry you know he died of a broken heart is is the way she put it um because he was he was young he was in his early 40s and um and the stress of what was going on in the industry um seeing his fellow colleagues um you know being fired uh trying to struggle to find some way to keep give them jobs keep them afloat uh honor commitments you know he he was a stand up man that was you know with the bankruptcy and everything going on with marvel it it really was it was killing him and uh it was a great conversation um go back to all the way to episode 11 uh, if you want to catch that conversation with Mark Grunwald's wife, um, it was uh, it was really uh as far as what was going on in the industry at that time.
2: And she would often, I think, in that interview and in other places, talk about how basically she was married to Captain America, uh, that Mark and Captain America were very, very similar. Um, so I think thinking of that in mind also makes it hard not to yeah. see this final issue as sort of a treatise on where he is at this time.
0: So we're going to do something we don't normally do, and that is uh, at the end of the comic, there is a a letters column. Um, We don't usually get into that, but but this one has a final message from Mark. And I thought it would be good for us to get to that. So it's in the the section that says, let's wrap with Cap. I, I find it interesting at the top where it says Ralph Macchio, who's the editor. It says instead of saying editor, it says Ralph Macchio jerk matt idelson assistant jerk um again maybe the letterer was having uh you know a little fun with this but uh, i don't know if ralph and matt probably appreciated that but but um you know they were the ones making i guess the decisions to take mark off the book but there is a section in here and it says um a memo from mark now, uh,
2: Jason, did you did you want to take the honors to to read this? I would love to. I I opted against voicing any characters from the story um, because I was waiting to voice Mark as as best I could here.
0: I think that's perfect.
2: A memo from Mark. This is it. My last issue of Captain America. Cap has been my constant companion for the past ten or so years, and the two of us have traveled. 137 stories together. That's quite a few. In fact, it's 127 more than CAP's co creator, Joe Simon, wrote, 112 more than his other co creator, Jack Kirby, wrote, 52 more than his reviver, Stan Lee, wrote, and 102 more than CAP's other, CAP's two other longest lasting chroniclers, J.M. DeMatteis and Steve Englehart, wrote. I trot out these statistics not just to tout my own track record, but also to demonstrate the depth of my commitment to the old shield slinger. If there's any hero in all of comics who has the drive to go to the distance, it's Cap. And it struck me as odd that he never had a writer willing or able to do the same. I wanted to be that writer. Besides going the distance with Cap, thus giving his life a consistent creative vision for a while, I had two other goals when I came on the book with issue 307, cover dated July, 1985. First, a personal goal. I wanted to stay on a book until I exhausted all of the story ideas I came up with in my first sitting, so I could see what ideas I came up with once I was really familiar with the character and on a creative role. In my writerly career to that point, I had never ever, I had not ever been on any series long enough to have come up with different fresh approaches over time. My second goal, a professional one, was to leave the book in better shape than I found it due largely to the fact that no one writer had stuck with the book for more than a few years. Various aspects of Cap's life were not all that developed. In his modern career, he'd been a shield agent, cop, a wanderer, and a commercial artist at various times. And none of these things resonated with the essence of his character, even though they became permanent parts of his mythos. I finally figured, that a man with a mission as all encompassing as Caps didn't need a trivial occupation to take time away from his true calling. Cap was not Steve Rogers with a mask. Steve Rogers was Cap without a mask. The part of Caps' mythos in most need of help, in my opinion, was his rogues gallery. A hero is only as great as the foes he triumphs over. And when I took on the book, Cap really only had three or four good foes the Red Skull, the Viper, Batrock, and Baron Zemo. I feel a solo hero needs at least 12, a different one for every month of the year. So I embarked upon a rigorous campaign of villain making. My inspiration for Cap's foes came from Cap himself. Unlike most heroes, Cap represents something, America's ideals. To give those ideals something to play off against, his foes should represent some aspect of America's reality. I made a list of themes and issues that have something to do with modern day America and then concocted foes to embody them. Thus, I took anti-patriotism and came up with Flag Smasher, right-wing militias and came up with the Watchdogs, trade unions and came up with the Serpent Society, the drug trade and came up with the Slug, slacker youths and came up with Madcap. Okay, not everyone was a classic, but I do think that Cap now has at least 12 workable Recurring foes. For the record, my favorite creation was Karen Dwyer and my crossbones. Okay, I'm almost through. In the space left, I'd like to thank my artistic collaborators Paul Neary, Tom Morgan, Karen Dwyer, Ron Lim, Rick Levins, Dave Hoover, and especially longtime inker Danny Blandi and longtime letterer Joe Rosen. Thanks for making my stories look good, guys. And now my tour of duty is over, and it's time for me to turn over the invincible shield to the very capable hands of masterful Mark Wade, Captain. I enjoyed getting to know you as I did. Thanks for taking me along on the ride of my life.
0: Yeah, it gets you right. It just gets you right there. It's uh, those are those are strong words for Mark, and and heartfelt, and. Uh, it's even deeper knowing that, um, you know, he he didn't live much longer, you know, past this. So um, thanks for for doing that, uh, Jason. Uh, certainly Thank Thank certainly was it. tough. All right. Now, let's have some fun now. Right. So let's let's get to the three things that we said we were going to talk about at the end of the show. And that is what was our favorite panel? what do we feel is worthy of being on a t-shirt and what do we want to put in the time capsule? So Jason, you being a uh, guest here, we, we're going to allow you the honor of going. What's your favorite panel?
2: This is such an interesting comic to do this with because, you know, it's so easy often to pick a favorite panel of some splashy actiony type thing. And this is not an issue that gives us that. Um, I, I think I'm going to pick as my favorite panel. Um I I like the conversation between Crossbones and Steve. Um and I think the panel where and, and I'm cheating a little bit because this is the 90s and panels bleed into panels and everything else. Um, but the the one where they're face to face on the phone, um, and crossbones is talking trash to Steve. And then Steve gets back and points back and talks about this issue of redemption and how much redemption matters to him. I I I think these are really strong panels here. Um, I, I think that Hoover's Crossbones is really good. Um, I think it looks sharp, and, and I think this works effectively. I like that they're on phones, and I know these are the phones in prisons, and they're different than than, than telephones, but the telephone, as weird as it sounds, is a really important part of Mark Grunewald's run with Captain America. He starts the Stars and Stripes. Um, it's the thing that he cares about most. He has paperwork written up, that he's kept in his special little box just in case this happened. So I think having Steve on the phone, yelling at Crossbones who's such a compelling villain and as we read in that note, um, the the favorite villain that, that Mark created during this time. I, I think these are panels that work really well. And I think Mark probably really enjoyed writing these. And I, I think the art works well here too.
0: Very nice choice. Very nice choice. John, did did you have a favorite panel? Did it involve um, Batrock by any chance?
3: Yeah, actually it does, but it's not because of Batrock, believe it or not. Um, so when they're in the mansion having tea and it's the bottom left-hand panel, it's Batroc saying, you're joking. It's the expression on Steve's face. Even though you have this armor helmet on, mm. the artwork... The, the, it just feels like that one facial expression encapsulates the entire tone of this issue with Steve. It's, it's all that pain and, and anguish over, uh, again, what we were talking about before. It, it, it's not even, I don't, I mean, yes, it is it, it, mortality, but it's, it just comes out in that facial expression.
0: Yeah. It really is a good one. That's a good choice, uh, Bob. What about you, Rick? That's I'm going to have to payment? go. Yeah, I
1: think I think I'm gonna, I think it's around page thirteen. It's it's Cap kissing Arnie's forehead. Uh, that to me, I mean, he says, "Thank you for being such a good friend to me." Uh, I mean, Arnie has played uh, you know for years prior to this such a pivotal role in Steve's life, supporting him. Uh, you know, uh, being there for him. I mean, one of his, one of his true friends, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, A friend of Steve, not a friend of Cap, but a friend of Steve. And he's one of the few guys I think Steve can really open up to because he harkens back to Steve's youth. And, uh, and they're both, you know, they're both passing at the same time for entirely different reasons. But um, to me, uh, you know, and let's—we can't like completely ignore. I mean, it's the '90s at this point, right? And how controversial Arnie was um, um, when he was brought into the Cap comic, and and uh, and in the '90s, still a controversial character. And and I think it's just a beautiful moment between two dear friends. And I just—I love that.
0: Uh, it's a very sweet, very sweet, sentimental, sentimental choice. Uh, I expect no less from you, Bob captain luscious
1: <laughs> i'll talk to you later uh so, <laughs> what about you rick what about your favorite panel
0: uh well this should not come as a surprise to any of my close friends or family um because uh i'm a hugger i'm a hugger bob <laughs> and uh john knows this john's gotten a few of my hugs over the years um so the panel uh, on page eight, the very first panel where the four of them surround Captain America and they all give him a hug. Uh, and he says, I turned to leave, but the four of them have suddenly moved in close to hug me. And he says, what's this for? That's I, I don't know. I got a, I got I got a little verklempt. What can I say? I, you I, know. I, I got a little choked up there.
2: OK, all right. I like that.
0: I like that. What
1: about. um what about t-shirt worthy?
0: Uh, all right. Uh, so I think we're going reverse order here, right? So, right. Uh, so for for me, t-shirt worthy is um, is page eleven, and it's the second panel. So Cap is there um, talking to to Crossbones in the prison. And then there's this really cool image of him in his armor, holding a phone up to his face, and he's looking like dead into the camera. And he says, actually, Bones, I came to see you for another reason. I have this theory that no one is totally beyond redemption. That's why I'm so big on preserving life, even the lives of those who try to kill me. As long as a person's alive, there's hope he may redeem himself. So then, and he goes on. So, I think that's that's Steve, at 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 his essence. It's a pretty cool panel, you know, coming from from Hoover. Um, I I think that would look cool on a Mm t-shirt. What about you, Bob?
1: Uh, You know, I'm going with. I think it's uh, around page six or so. It's that that panel in the middle of the page with with uh, with Jack Flag and Free Spirit, and I think Fabian. Uh, or maybe that's Zach. Um, and I, I, just want, I just want free spirits face on my, my, my chest.
0: <laughs> I'm going with that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Just, just when I thought you were like, you know, so sentimental and, and, uh, and yeah, all that, yeah. you thought then, I was redeemed. Yeah. See? Then, then you're a lot, like, Bob you're, you're a lot like Steve,
1: right. You're constantly oh, yeah. looking for a redemption and, and I keep disappointing you.
0: Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> John, what, what do you got for, what's t-shirt worthy to you?
3: All right. So the same page is your uh, panel, favorite panel. Uh, I believe he says page eight. Uh-huh. There At the bottom where Steve's kind of flying and he's in the midst of all these super villains that he's thinking mm-hmm. about he should go after. I think that would be a heck of a t-shirt or poster, either one. I like it. All right, Jason, how about you? What
0: are you putting on a t-shirt here?
2: I want uh, the bust of Namor.
0: We <laughs> didn't talk that, about
2: that. I didn't, I didn't bring that up, but it but yeah, it's a good point. It's um yeah, right in that library scene where Kathman and the unmasked bashrock, which is a big deal, um, are are drinking tea. We get this wonderful foreground shot of a bust of Namor. I put that on his shirt. Um, I think that'd be fantastic.
1: No doubt, no doubt a gift from Namor.
2: Yeah. <laughs> absolutely
0: and he was like i'm i'm off duty being an avenger but here's a bust of me nice all right so let's get to the last part what are we going to put in the time capsule what do we what do we feel is going to sum up this issue uh in, or this time period or some error of some point uh jason what do you what do you got
2: you know, when I wrote the book and I'm not here to plug the book, but when I wrote the book, plug um, it. I plug Thank it, in, Jason. It's a uh, wonderful right. book. Plug it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but when I wrote the book and I, I, I went back and I read all these and I had read these before years and years earlier, when I got to this one, there's one thing I remembered. Um, and that was the conversation with Batroc. Um, That was the thing that stuck with me. Um, so I think it already was in a time capsule in me, um, because I, I didn't remember a lot of other things in this issue, but I remembered that. And I remembered it vividly. Um, and I, as I was approaching the issue, I'm like, this is the one where he talks to Black Shark doesn't have the mask on and they drink tea. And I remembered all of this. And, and then I re- read through it. I'm like, gosh, I don't remember any of this other stuff that happens here. Um, and, and then I get to that. So, so to me, it, it feels. Does it represent the era? I think it does in a way. It feels like an incredibly Grunewald move um, to do this. Um, to have this final issue, the final issue of Captain America by Mark Grunewald. And the big dramatic moment is tea with Batrock. Um, <laughs> this feels like such a, 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 a mark move of defying what expectations are um and and you know caps in that very 90s armor feels era specific tube to see it there so so that's that's what i always think of with this issue and and that's in my personal time capsule so we'll we'll share it with the world oh
0: that's very cool and and now now when you think of this issue you'll be hearing the my and john's voice in your head in that special scene
2: and goodness does that make it even more special
0: <laughs> oh. checks in the mail right (laughs) all right john uh what do you put in the time capsule from this issue
3: well if i'm not going to go with the batrock conversation which i'm sorely tempted to do um you know it's it's probably going to be the last page in that scene of quicksilver looking out and and you said it was a raven and and that's probably true but for some reason, when I was reading it, I thought of it as an eagle in shadow. Hmm. Um, you know, kind of playing on the on a motif or something. But regardless, just the the unusual color scheme for the sky and the the setting sun and that that shadowing and everything it it, it feels like that kind of encapsulates a lot about not only this issue, but hearing uh jason read the the letter from mark um it it kind of encapsulates that mood too mm-hmm. very nice
0: bob
1: hi i'm going with uh an artifact uh of steve's life uh highlighted on page Ooh, five and six
0: the footlocker nice. right
1: yeah. now i got a little bone to pick uh, because of the coloring, the way the the footlockers depicted. It looks like one of those footlockers you get at Walmart or... Uh, and I had one of these, I, I had one of those just like that, the black with, the, with like the fake brass trim and the brass lock on the front, had one of those when I went off to, uh, to college. But that's not, that's not a real footlocker. Um, I had a footlocker, it was issued to me uh, in the Marines. I'm not sure they issue them anymore. But I know exactly what Steve is talking about and what he's feeling, because I still have that footlocker in my garage and it has all my crap in it from my Marine Corps days. And it, it has that same sort of, uh, I think, pro- probably more so for Steve because it's so much further removed and he lost so much. But I understand that, like, this is my footlocker and it has my stuff in it, my most important things, uh, and it's a shame that they don't issue them anymore. They used to issue them to all officers would get them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't anymore. That's one of those things that has gone the way of budget cuts. Uh, and I guess people just don't use them anymore. So for me, that's a very time capsule like artifact of history. Um, and so that's that's what I'm going with.
0: very cool. and And it's interesting, too, that that cap talks about how important. That was to him. And if you recall, in in the story uh in The Avengers, where Zemo and the Masters of Evil came to the Avengers uh-huh. Mansion and Zemo destroys his locker. And it, it was, you know, it had a picture of his mom in there. Like, you know, it was horrible. But then later on, some convoluted way, Zemo, you know, brings it back to life somehow, some way magically, uh-huh. as a way of saying sorry. But um yeah, so that that that's interesting that Mark put that in there, um, you know, and brought it back from from earlier stories. Yeah. So for time capsule for me, this is 1995, right? And and not only am I thinking of Captain America, I'm just thinking of comics in general in the mid 90s, right? Wasn't my favorite time period of comics. I some people who grew up on it probably loved them but uh, it wasn't my favorite, but this I'm going to say page four is essentially the, the time capsule page for me. And that's the one where cap lands in front of his, his place and he walks in and there's um, uh, Jack flag and free spirit. And he's, he's in his armor of course he's in his armor throughout the whole issue, but, but him being in his armor is very mid nineties. Jack Flag and uh, Free Spirit, um, who have only been around for a year, is very mid-90s. You, and, and they're not used much after this, right? So the Armor and, and Jack Flag and Free Spirit are all been around for about a year at this point and not really much after that. So it totally speaks mid-90s to me. And that's going in my time capsule.
1: I love it. I love it. And I, I think, I mean, old Jack is no longer with us, right?
0: True. Yeah. And you know, do you know who stood by and just watched and let that happen? I can't remember Rick Batrock Batrock. Yes, I'm he did Nutcracker. yeah, I know he's a never do well, as he's called in this uh, yeah. in this issue. He's he a well, yeah. uh, uh, you know, a bad guy, not not necessarily a villain, a rogue, but uh, yeah. yeah. But I got to say in that, in those issues uh, where Hydra cap killed Rick Jones, mm-hmm. um, Batrock was just standing there yeah. as a mercenary.
1: I would, I, I think it was a, you know, I would have liked to have seen at least for a while, something that had come out of that conversation between Batrock and Steve Rogers. I, I, I'm just maybe I am just an old softy and a sentimental, but I would have liked to have seen him, for a short period him try to redeem himself and and be less of a rogue, less of a, a, a you know a, a, a bad guy, and maybe become a good guy for a short period of time. And maybe it wouldn't have worked out, but I, I, I would I would have loved to have seen that explored.
3: I agree, I agree wholeheartedly, and I will also chime in that if you didn't read the thunderbolts mini that came out around the time of king and black i think uh a back, couple of years ago yeah just a couple of years ago Batrack was a member of that thunderbolts team and you get a little hint hmm. of what that could have been it's not all the way there but i i, I was, I, was in, I enjoyed it i'm gonna check that out thanks john no problem All right. Well, this has been
0: a really special episode. I want to thank our guests. I want to thank uh, Jason Olson. Uh, Check out his book. Um, You know, Jason wrote Mark Grunewald and the Star Spangled Symbolism of Captain America. It's a fun book. Great retrospective looking on uh, Mark Groomwald's time with Captain America. So check that out. I want to say thank you to, to Jason for being on the show. I also want to thank uh, John Waller Sewell for uh, being the voice of Batrock and, and also his comments on this. It was fun having John. And you can check him out on Beautiful, Silly, and Terrible Things. That's cool. All right. And for Bob Lucius, I'm Rick Verbanus, and you have been listening to another episode of the Captain America comic book fans podcast.
1: Dog. I really enjoyed that show.